welcome. This week's episode sounds a bit different because it's just me solo. And that's because this is actually our final episode. I know that this might seem abrupt, but we've been hard at work for four years and it was time for us to step away and focus on our own solo journeys. I want to say a huge thank you to our listeners and patrons who have supported us throughout this time. We absolutely could not have done this without you. And from the bottom of our hearts, thank you, thank you, thank you. We've made a lot of friends along the way. So our Facebook page and Facebook groups, Instagram, Twitter, all of that's going to remain open. Like I said, we've created such a community. We don't want to lose that. Please keep in touch. I know that a lot of you have made friendships with other listeners and you guys are amazing. Our personal Instagrams can be found linked in the Golden Ghouls Instagram bio. So follow us all to keep up with our future ventures. We all still love spooky things, so I'm sure we'll still post spooky content from time to time. I personally am already brainstorming my next spooky venture, whether that's a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever that looks like, but would definitely love for you all to remain in touch. As for our Patreon and Repod members, those memberships will end to ensure that nobody is charged. We'll be sharing some exclusive video content soon before those memberships end. Our website will eventually shut down. So if there's any last minute merch that you've just got to have, be sure to grab it. I also have a lot of stickers. So if anyone is interested, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook and share your address and I will send those to you for free. The podcast is going to remain hosted on all of the major listening platforms so you all can go back and listen to your favorite episodes and new folks can come in and enjoy as well. It's not going anywhere. There just won't be any new episodes. Before I dive into the this actually very exciting episode. This is best listened to with headphones as EVPs are shared from our recent adventures in Massachusetts. And those can be quiet and subtle. So having those headphones is definitely really helpful. I guess without further ado, it's time to get spooky. So let's kick things off. We let y'all know we were heading to Fall River, Massachusetts to stay at the Lizzie Borden house. And what an experience that was. Truly something I will never forget. It was, I mean, all I can really say, what an experience. Just some information that we didn't really realize until right before we were going. If you are ever curious to stay there, it is very tourist centric. So they have tours throughout the day and you actually cannot be in your room from like 10 a.m. until 4, 4.30 p.m. So very interesting. Definitely took us off guard, but um, just something to keep in mind if you ever plan on going. So for anyone who doesn't know much about Lizzie Borden or the house, I have some backstory. Um, some of this is from their website, others found on Wikipedia. So this is just 
just a little synopsis of what's going on there. So Lizzie's father, Andrew Borden, bought the home in 1872 and immediately had it remodeled from a two-tenant dwelling into a place that his small family could call home. He chose the house due to its location. It was a short walking distance to his business on Main Street, which is a block over. And it sat amid other businesses, horse stables, stores, uh, a laundromat and a makeshift restaurant. I don't know what a laundromat looked like in those days, but I'm sure it was very different. Andrew's second wife and stepmother to his daughters, Abby, kept house and she really took pride in it, while his two daughters, Emma and Lizzie, looked at the heavily floral covered walls as a prison of sorts. There was also a young Irish maid, Bridget Sullivan, who was inhabiting the house as well. Today, the house is just as it was when the Bordens lived there. The furnishings retain their rightful place. The decor has been painstakingly duplicated from crime scene photos and whatnot from the past, and the original hardware and doors are still intact. They also showcase artifacts from the murder case. They are displayed um, in the bedrooms, on the mantle, in the dining area, so... Just about everywhere you can think of, there is a little piece of photographic history somewhere in the house. As the home's website notes, a visitor is literally transported back to that morning when a perfect storm of events culminated in a double murder. So a little bit more backstory. John Morris, the girl's uncle, who was brother to their deceased mother, Sarah, arrived in the evening of August 3rd and slept in the guest room that night. After breakfast the next morning, at which Andrew, Abby, Lizzie, John Morris, and Bridget were present, Andrew and John went to the sitting room where they chatted for close to an hour. John left around 8.48 a.m. to buy a pair of oxen and visit another niece, planning to return to the Borden home for lunch at around noon. Andrew had left for his morning walk sometime around 9 a.m., Although the cleaning of the guest room was typically one of Lizzie and Emma's regular chores, Abby, their stepmother, went upstairs sometime between 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. to make the bed. According to the forensic investigation, Abby was facing her killer at the time of the attack. She was first struck on the side of the head with a hatchet, which cut her just above the ear, causing her to turn and fall face down on the floor, creating contusions on her nose and forehead. The killer then struck her multiple times, delivering 17 more direct hits to the back of her head. Uh, some accounts say 17, others say 18, some say 19, but I'm guessing it's somewhere in that range. Anyway, Andrew returned home at around 1030 in the morning. His key failed to open the door, so he knocked Bridget went to unlock it and she found the door jammed. She later testified that she heard Lizzie laughing immediately after this incident with the door. She said she didn't see Lizzie, but said that the laughter was coming from the landing at the top of the stairs. This was considered significant as Abby was already dead by this time and her body would have been visible to anyone on that landing on the second floor. Lizzie later denied being upstairs and testified that her father had asked her where Abby was, to which she replied that a messenger had delivered Abby a note 
about a sick friend that she needed to go visit. Lizzie also stated that she had then helped Andrew remove his boots and helped him into his slippers before he laid down on the sofa for a nap. So this detail is contradicted by the crime scene photos. They show Andrew wearing boots still. Uh, The tour guide at the house said that the police put his boots back on for the photos because he was a well-known figure around town. They wanted to make sure he looked his best. I don't know if this is true. A lot of a lot of facts have been lost on this case, but just the more, you know, given you all that I've heard. Um, Lizzie then informed Bridget of a department store sale and offered her permission to attend. But Bridget said she felt unwell and went to take a nap in her bedroom instead. Bridget testified that she was in her third floor room resting from cleaning the windows that morning when just before 11 10 a.m she heard lizzie call from downstairs maggie come quick father's dead somebody came in and killed him they found andrew slumped on a couch in the downstairs sitting room struck 10 or 11 times with a hatchet-like weapon one of his eyes had been split cleanly in two suggesting that he had been asleep when he was attacked He was still bleeding from his wounds, which suggested that the attack was incredibly recent. Dr. Bowen, the family's physician who lived right across the street, came over, pronounced the victims dead. Detectives estimated that Andrew's death had occurred at approximately 11 a.m. Lizzie was ultimately tried and acquitted for these murders, but there are many theories that continue to swirl today with Lizzie at the center of many of them. There are a lot of people that believe she may have acted with her sister as they knew their stepmother was to inherit their father's money. Others believe their uncle John may have helped in some capacity, while there are other theories that suggest Bridget may have assisted because soon after the trial, she went straight back to Ireland. We may never know the truth to this story, but we did visit the home seeking answers. So we got to the house. We did a cleansing to make sure that we were protected before entering because This place is known to be very active in terms of paranormal phenomena. Um, There are also a lot of folks that think there are negative energies at play there. So we just wanted to make sure that we were as protected as possible. As far as the house itself goes, it definitely has a very big, very prominent energy to it. Um, my take was that the energy definitely seems to kind of circulate and move throughout the day and into the night. The sense that I was getting from the spirits there was that they like to avoid people and they flock to the third floor during the day where no one is really active. Um, and then they roam a little bit more at night. So at night, that sitting area, the same room where Andrew was murdered, That room had a lot more energy at night than during the day. Uh, For several of us, it caused like a pressure in our head, in our ears. There was some ringing ears, some nausea. So lots of feelings there. Um, 
almost immediately after setting our suitcases down in our room, I saw a white mist go past our bedroom door just outside. It looked to me like fabric almost. Um, And that was, like I said, within minutes of settling into our room. Our friend Jen, this was actually a trip for her birthday. She was there with us. And the following night, she and I were standing and talking and we both looked at each other at the same time. And she asked, did you just see that? And I said, yes, because I had just seen the mist, that fabricy looking mist again. And she said, was it white? And I said, yes. So we saw that on a couple of occasions. We seemed to get the most activity on the first night of investigation when we addressed Andrew Borden. Around that time, I actually saw a shadow figure in the bathroom. And not too long after that, Emily saw a misty figure. And then we all felt a cold spot. Again, this is when we were talking about Andrew. The same time, the flashlight kept flickering, which was really interesting. It didn't do this any other time. So just some bizarre phenomena. But as far as EVPs go, we caught our first possible EVP very early into the recording as I was turning the lights off um, and getting everything set up. I say possible EVPs because, again, this is not backed by fact. This is just our experience. And I've gone through hours and hours and hours of audio picking out the most prominent, unrecognizable sounds, voices, things like that. There were some things I left on the cutting room floor because to me, I just wasn't sure enough. Um, So again, I say possible because we can't prove that this was some sort of entity, but there's definitely something different. The um, the audio looks different than our voices. So I'm going to play that first EVP for you. Like I said, I was turning off the lights, getting us set up for the investigation. You'll hear our friend Jen speak, followed by Kylie. Then there is this unrecognized voice. I'm going to play it a few times for you. You may want to turn your own audio up when these EVPs play, because again, they can be very, very quiet. She's turning off all our safety. Oh, oh, good. She's turning off all our safety. Oh, oh, good. So there you have it, the first potential EVP. I personally hear touch me or touching, touch it, something along those lines. But I'm very curious to hear if anyone else picked up on that or what you may have heard. Uh, Again, keep interacting with us. Let us know on Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, At the end of the first night, I actually went to check the camera and noticed that the recording had somehow stopped and restarted. The camera doesn't have a function that allows for this. So that was just something very bizarre. 
That is the only real sound I captured on night one. Night two, we took to the third floor. Oh, also, I totally forgot to mention this. We stayed the first night of the investigation was in our room, the Andrew and Abby suite. Uh, the the house website says that the Andrew and Abby suite is one of the more paranormally active rooms. Um, but yeah, so that's where we were the first night. That is on the second floor of the home. So third floor of the home, very interesting place. The energy is typically drastically different up there. I think it's because, like I said, a lot of the spirits tend to flock to that floor when there's a lot of activity on the lower floors. But just in general, it's got a, a really strange vibe up there. I don't want to say it's unwelcoming, but it's just drastically different than the rest of the home. The basement also has the same kind of feeling. But um, on the third floor, it said that there are some children's spirits. We learned from the tour guide that the neighbor had drowned her two children and then killed herself. Um, I don't know how much truth there is to that, but again, that's why they say that there are children's spirits on the third floor. They actually have um, one of the bedrooms is full of toys for these children's spirits to play with. So second night we took to the third floor. Um, this time you will hear us referencing lights a few times. We had been communicating with an EMF meter, um, but we weren't getting much activity the EMF meter actually didn't show a lot of activity until we went into an Estes method session, which I will give you guys a little bit more context on in just a bit. But I'm playing these EVPs kind of in the order that they were captured so you can get a sense of how the night actually played out. So this first possible EVP of night two was captured when we were using the EMF meter. You'll hear Emily ask whoever may be present not to use the meter until we ask questions. She then asks them to light up a specific color followed by an unrecognized voice. Again, I will play this a few times. Don't come near the light until we ask. Oh, I think I'm making me angry now. <laughs> Can you light it up all the way to red? This voice definitely sounds male to me personally. I feel like I hear help me or possibly Abby although that might just be me knowing about the house and trying to figure out what might be being said. But it definitely sounds like two syllables. Again, curious to hear if y'all hear that or what you think. In this next one, you'll hear Jen asking if there are any spirits that would like to share anything, followed by an inaudible phrase, then I ask if they want us to leave. Anything else that you'd like to communicate? Anything at all? Tell us. Do you want us to leave? Okay. 
And there you have that one. That one's really interesting to me because it really does sound like a full sentence. The voice definitely sounds softer than some of the other EVPs we captured, possibly more feminine. Again, really strange because it does sound like a full sentence, but for me, it was hard to make out any words. So I'm curious to hear if anyone listening might have picked up on anything. In this next clip, we had started an Estes method session. Transparency, this is a new technique for us, so a bit of background on it in the words of Astonishing Legends. An SB7 spirit box is used to quickly scan radio feeds. The hope of the Estes method is to isolate and concentrate on the random radio feed. One must have the SB7 spirit box tapped into soundproof headphones so they cannot hear the questions being asked and be blindfolded so they cannot guess or read lips at what is being asked. Once this has been established, the other investigators in the room, not the person listening via headphones, ask questions and see if the radio snippet of the human receiver matched to the answer of the question posed. The human receiver says out loud any words or phrases they can make out. So in this clip, you'll hear Emily ask if the possible spirit remembers using the EMF meter lights, then an unrecognized possible voice, followed by me responding, yes, as I just heard it through the spirit box. You remember these lights? Yes. So that one is less about the EVP and more about the fact that we got an answer that matched up to a question during this Estes method session. So regarding the unexplained voice, it sounds like a couple of syllables to me, like a very rushed sentence. But again, not enough for me to say what I think I heard. Just interesting because an answer made sense compared to what question was asked. These next few clips are part of the same Estes method session when words started coming to me more clearly and more often. You'll hear me saying the words that I was picking up and you'll hear Emily, Jennifer, and another bed and breakfast guest, Jeff, asking questions. At the end, though, there's an unrecognized voice after Emily asks for a name. I'll play this one a few times as well. Experience. This is an experience. Are you crying? Did you experience something? Sadness? Who's crying? This house. The house is crying? The house makes you cry? Do you not like this house? Are you trying to tell us about something that happened in this house? My niece. Is your name John? I died. How did you die? How? Did you see? Yes, how did you die? Are you 
asking us. Did you die in this house? Keep talking to us. What is your niece's name? So this one in particular gave me chills. And I don't want to speculate too much, but we think that this may have been the uncle, John Morse, based on the answers that we were getting. The EVP sounds to me like Lisbeth, which is what Lizzie changed her name to after the trial. So again, don't want to speculate too much, but curious to hear if anybody else heard that. When I was going through these recordings, that was one of the clearest things that I picked up on and I immediately heard Lisbeth. So very, very interesting one. The next recording is from that same session when responses were still flowing in a lot more than earlier in the night or the previous night. In this one, there are no strange voice anomalies, but some of the answers seem to match up to some of the theories surrounding the murders in the home. Again, we don't want to speculate too much, but some food for thought. Can you tell us your name? Desperate. Why were you desperate? They would. They would take the money. They didn't help. Oh my God. They were gonna take the money, weren't they? Myself. Were you in on it together? Was that the plan? Keep talking to us, please. They were gonna take your money, weren't they? And you had to do it. Because you were desperate. Talking to Alyssa, please. We know you're here. Are we off on what you're trying to say to us? Who is desperate? What's your name? Whew. So, again, no strange voice anomalies in that. Just thought it was an interesting series of responses that we were getting from the spirit box. To kind of backtrack, I mentioned some of the theories surrounding why the girls might have committed the murder, why it may have been Lizzie, why it may have been John, whoever. Lizzie's stepmother, the girl's stepmother, Abby, was set to inherit their father's wealth. He was a pretty wealthy man for the time period, although very modest, didn't spend a lot of money. But he had started giving property to Abby's family and the girls may have been feeling threatened. So there is speculation that that had something to do with the murders. And that is the final audio recording from our stay at the Lizzie Borden house. All in all, a very, very interesting adventure. The Lisbeth EVP, possible EVP, I'll say, is probably the most interesting piece to me. It sounded really obvious to me, but again, I'm really curious to hear if you guys picked up on that same thing. 
Next up, we did a little bonus investigation because why not? We went all the way to Massachusetts, so why not get the most out of it? We ventured to Salem and had a lovely stay at the Salem Inn. Highly, highly, highly recommend. For reference, we stayed in the West House, which is home to the inn's most haunted room, room 17. And we were lucky enough to book that room and stay there. The West House was built in 1834 by Captain Nathaniel West, a prominent sea merchant and the first captain from Salem to circumnavigate the entire globe. So this guy was busy. The West House is considered to be the main of the three houses that form the Salem Inn. It is a Federalist style house offering 22 rooms and suites, and it really does feel quite welcoming despite its history of hauntings. The Inn's website says that even before the Inn opened its doors, reports of paranormal happenings were flooding out of it and spreading all throughout the town. The people were losing their minds over it. The Inn staff swears that at least three ghosts are haunted the Salem Inn. The first being a woman named Catherine, the second being a small child, and the third being a ghostly black cat, although there are reports of another female spirit named Elizabeth. Even the guest book has tales of encounters, one of which includes a woman watching her bedroom door slowly open and then slam shut, thumps and bumps in room 17 specifically, and disembodied conversations coming from empty rooms. There are also unexplainable shadows, personal items going missing and then reappearing somewhere else, and apparitions are all too familiar at the Salem Inn. I will say that although it does feel very welcoming, I did immediately pick up on a tricky spirit who likes to take things and hide them. So I made sure to really store my jewelry away very safely so that it could not be found because I just had a feeling that one of those things was going to go missing. And even though that spirit did seem maybe a little tricky, it seemed like they were just having fun. So no ill intentions and just an overall positive presence in the whole place. Funny enough, the first spirit that I would say we connected with was a child spirit. They felt male, although we never got any confirmation in our EMF meter or EVP sessions. Although we do have some audio clips that I want to share with y'all. This first one does not have any particular voice anomalies, but gives an idea of the answers we were getting during that EMF meter session. You'll hear myself, Kylie, Emily, and Kylie's best friend, Jess, asking questions and responding based on if the spirit communicated via the lights on the meter. Did I go orange for a child? Mm-hmm. Do you like to play games? Or do you have toys you like to play with? Oh, toys, huh? You like toys. <laughs> These lights are kind of like a toy, huh? Yeah, they're fun. Yeah. <laughs> do you have your toys here in the room? Oh. Okay, you are really proud of the toys, huh? I love your toys. (laughs) Do you have a friend you like to play with? Oh. Mm -hmm. It's good to have friends. Is there a cat that lives here that you're friends with? What about a dog? 
So yeah, no voice anomalies in that one. Although maybe I'm crazy, but I could have sworn I heard a faint meow after Emily asked about a dog. So that clip is really to just show how much action we were getting when using the EMF meter. Um, for reference, if you guys don't recall past investigations. Uh, we use the EMF meter and ask spirits to light it up to different colors for different answers. We do base readings around the entire room to make sure it's not picking up any sort of outside um, EMF, checking all the electrical outlets, things like that. And we make sure that it is at a steady place, meaning the lights are not flashing when we go into the session. And then when questions start being answered, um, spirits can manipulate that. So yeah, that is why we were reacting the way that we were because we were getting a lot of yes answers from this child spirit. This second clip here features myself and Kylie asking the child spirit if they like to play outside, followed by an unrecognized voice. And I will play this one a couple of times. Do you like to play outside in the summertime? Do you like to play outside in the summertime? That's another one that for me is hard to discern, but sounds distinctly different from our voices and was definitely unexplained. Would love to hear if y'all picked up on what that may have said. Sounds like two syllables to me and possibly male, although really hard to tell. This next clip just highlights how active that child spirit was with the EMF meter. We thought that Jess being there, who is a mom, may have attracted the child spirit. She's got great energy, definitely wonderful mom energy. So it would make sense that a child spirit would be attracted to her and want to hang out with us. So again, here's that clip. How about rocks? Do you like to play with rocks? Looks like there's some oh, interesting like rocks. Like rocks a lot. Yes, lots of good rocks out there. <laughs> I, I mean, do you I like have to a throw rock. rocks, rocks in the water? Do you like to splash in puddles? Oh, yes. yes. In Very questions. much puddles. Yes. <laughs> do you, you bring the good questions? It's a mom. It might not be a coincidence that there's a younger child in here yeah. now because Jess is in here. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, a vibe. Feel very positive. This next possible EVP was hard for me to understand, but it sounds like several words strung together. You'll hear Kylie ask if the spirit likes the dowsing rods I was holding and then an undiscernible noise. Do you like the toy that Alyssa's holding? All right, now that I'm listening back to that one, maybe I can make something out. It almost sounds like, what are these? Although that could be way off base, but just what I heard upon listening again, again, curious to hear if y'all picked up on that one. Another one that's kind of hard to tell, but definitely caught my attention when listening through the audio. 
this final EVP actually made me laugh because of what I think I hear. You'll hear Kylie ask the child spirit if they like candy, followed by an unrecognized voice, and then just responding to the EMF meter, which was also flashing for yes at the same time we picked up this unrecognized voice. Do you like candy? A little bit. That one sounds to me almost like a little voice saying, I want it, which kind of makes me giggle to think about a child spirit saying that about candy. So as much as children's spirits tend to scare me because they will touch you and be a little bit more playful, this did seem like a natural child's response and I thought was actually very, very sweet. So maybe I am coming around to children's spirits. But that's the last EVP I have, although there were a few more things that happened within the hotel that you'll have to know about. So I actually slept peacefully, unlike at the Lizzie Borden house. Salem Inn had me snoozing pretty hard, but I was awoken at like 6 a.m. By our balcony door opening, I heard a whoosh sound and I looked up and our balcony door was open. Uh, I have extreme OCD especially when it comes to checking that doors are locked. So the night before, I had checked at least five times to make sure the door was locked. Um, It was also one of those door scenarios where it's a hard one to lock and unlock. You kind of have to push the door to make sure that it's locked all the way and then push it again to unlock it, put some pressure on the door. How that happened, I couldn't tell you, but I got up and locked the door again, went back in bed. And right after I had settled into bed, I heard a cat's meow from across the room. I naturally at first thought maybe, you know, my mind was playing some tricks on me. But as soon as I was dozing off, the meow happened again, right in my ear. So that was definitely a little bit unsettling just because it was shocking, not because a cat spirit is scary, just kind of shocked me. Our friend Jen saw a shadow figure in the mirror, which caused her to stay up all night. She stayed in a separate room on the first floor, room 11 of the West House, but definitely something to consider if you ever book. There might be a shadow spirit in that room. The next morning at breakfast, the staff actually overheard us talking about our experiences and they snuck over and said, did y'all see a ghost? Uh, And we said, yeah. And they proceeded to tell us about their own experiences, which actually kind of ended up validating everything that we had experienced. They told us that the child spirit is a little boy. He likes to open doors and play with balls. At one point in the night, we had asked if they liked balls and the EMF meter went absolutely bonkers. They also said that there is a female spirit named Catherine, although they call her Cat because they see her so much. They're close enough that they have a nickname for her. And they said she actually resides in room 17, which is our room. They said she usually doesn't let anyone sleep, but that's typically when a man is in the room. There were no men in the room the night that we were there, obviously. So uh, yeah, we, we got to sleep, but shout out to Cat. She sounds like a cool lady. And then uh, before we left, I was actually walking through the hall near our room and one of the do not disturb hangers on another room's door 
was shaking back and forth like crazy. It would slow down and then it would speed up. I watched this for probably a minute and a half straight and I started recording it. I go back to look at the recording and it's like zero seconds long, even though I know I pressed it for 20, 30 seconds. I checked for air vents on both sides of the door, couldn't figure out what could have been causing that. That is definitely one of the stranger things that I have ever experienced, but I have a quick video of that, which I can post to Instagram and save to our Salem story highlight. But there you have the Salem Inn and our overall adventure in Massachusetts, the Lizzie Borden house as well. It was a journey. Um, 10 out of 10 would return to the Salem Inn. Don't know if I ever need to go back to the Lizzie Borden house, but that call is up to y'all if you'd ever like to visit. I want to say thank you again. I can't believe that this is the last episode, but I really, from the bottom of my heart, love you guys. I hope everyone stays in touch. Please know that we are friends for life. No joke. Patrons, keep an eye on the Patreon page for some video content. Um, same for Repod members. Some video content is coming soon. And until we meet again, stay spooky. Ooh.